Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all. I'm Jeff Ross. I'm one of the associate pastors here and uh, looking forward to being with y'all this morning. Uh, you've been talking about artifacts in here. So I know that uh, Scott talked about the windows and Michael Cromwell came and talked about liturgy and music and uh, some of those kind of uh, uh, how we got to where we are. And you've done uh, some other things sort of looking uh, at the history of the church and how we got to where we are. So this morning we're going to talk about communion uh, and a little bit of how we got to where we are, uh, why we uh, take communion, why that's a central part of, of the church. And so our scripture comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, and we will uh, read through what it says there. Um, for I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. So this is Paul uh, talking to the church uh, about communion and how uh, all of this is, is passed on. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable to the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup for all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. May God add his blessing to our reading and hearing and understanding of this word. And so uh, communion was something that Jesus did. In the Methodist church, there are two sacraments, communion and baptism. And so it's a, a sacrament that the church holds dear. It was something that Jesus did and instituted uh, and asked us to do in remembrance of him. Uh, and in the same way, baptism was something that Jesus did uh, and, uh, and asked us to, to do as well. And so those are the two sacraments in the church. And so from the early church, uh, there was this process, practice of serving and partaking of communion. And as Paul goes through this uh, uh, chapter 11, he talks about some of the problems and some of the things associated with it. He's trying to get folks uh, to uh, kind of work this out. So we've got a couple of pictures of some of the frescoes that are found in Rome uh, of the kind of early depictions or uh, so these would be artifacts that uh, the church uh, has and has been passed down and, and kind of uh, shows us the ways uh, in which communion was served and taken. Uh, go on to the, the next picture. Um, so you can kind of sort of make out on the table uh, this picture and especially the next picture that there's bread and, and uh, uh wine or, uh, and then also fish. And so 
in the, the early church, uh, part of Paul's struggle is that uh, some folks would make this a big meal uh, and then fight each other for the food because they'd come hungry and uh, just sort of take from each other and fight over. And, and Paul was saying, whoa, 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 eat before you come so that you're not hungry so you can do this in a worshipful, disciplined manner. Uh, but uh, the, the, the problem with artifacts is that these frescoes weren't planted, right? They weren't... Uh, Somebody in the first century didn't say, okay, let's leave this here because a thousand years from now, people will find it and they'll understand how we did communion. Uh, artifacts don't work that way, do they? Uh, they're discovered. They're, people live their lives and things fall off the table or, or get placed up somewhere. Some things pr are preserved and survive. Other things don't. And then we find whatever it is that we find. And then in, if it's a thousand years later, two thousand years later, we have to create the story around uh, what was taking place. And so the church has had artifacts for a long time. Uh, and, and we have to kind of look at it. So fish, for instance. Um, we have communion this morning, um, but, and we're going to use these little uh, cups, sort of self-contained things, but there, there's no fish in it. Have any of y'all ever had uh, communion somewhere where they served fish as part of it? Maybe the wafer that you got was one of those little gold fish, but <laughs> that doesn't quite count. So, yeah, I've, I've been in the church for a long time. I've never had fish with communion. So how did fish get, was it a central part in the first century and then kind of dropped out? So that's kind of the struggle that we have with artifacts, right? Um, we have to take what we've been given and what we find and what we discover. We have to create a story around it and then we have to uh, decide in our time and our place uh, what's important. And so there are a lot of those things around communion that have happened over the centuries of what we do and what we don't do and how we do what we do and what's important, what's not important. Go to the, the next slide. Um, in this, you see, uh, it's, a, it's a statue of, of a little boy. Um, and so in the early church, and even in some uh, places today, the elements are specifically precious uh, to the point that, well, what do you do at the end of communion with leftover bread and leftover wine? Uh, in some churches it's and, and denominations, it's just leftover stuff. And so you might put it back in a bag, put it in the freezer till the next communion. You might throw it out. Uh, if it's a loaf of bread that's been baked, Somebody might take it home and eat it. Is, is that okay? Is that allowed? You're eating the communion bread? You're making a sandwich out of the communion? You know, is that okay? Is that not okay? And the wine uh, or the juice, do you just pour it down the sink? Uh, some places uh, you pour it back into the earth. Uh, some places it's just discarded. Uh, in some denominations where it's wine, the priest has to drink it. You can't have leftovers. Uh, and uh, so that could uh, result in a kind of fuzzy afternoon. Um, and, and so there's all kinds of, of stuff around it. So this picture uh, is a statue of a little boy in the first century that is carrying the communion bread. And some people want to take the bread from him uh, because they're hungry. 
Uh, and, uh, and so they're chasing him down the street, and he's protecting it. Uh, the story, the legend, the, the, the story behind this, this uh, boy is they actually kill him. Uh, and he dies protecting the, uh, the communion bread. Um, and, and, and so that goes into uh, whether or not we believe that the bread is the actual body of Christ. Where, and some of y'all might have grown up in places where that, that was taught or believed. Uh, and if the wine is the blood of Christ, and, um, and how we, we kind of understand that. So, um, again, the, the artifacts that we have uh, in historical pieces, literature, uh, liturgy, and all of those things are, are part of the struggle of how do we take what uh, was instituted and what Jesus did, and how are we authentic to that? And what are the boundaries around that? What can we take? What can we add? What can we do? What what can we not do? And so, uh, just some of the things. And maybe you've grown up with questions about, uh, or have experienced one thing in one church and a different thing in a different church. And so, uh, I, I want to just kind of walk through some of the the struggles or or. Uh, debates around uh, what we do at communion. So what type of bread? Um, is there a standard bread? Uh, people talk about leavened bread and unleavened bread. Uh, uh, is, there, is there something that's holy and something that's non-holy? Is there, uh, the, I mentioned the little goldfish earlier, is that sacrilegious? Uh, uh, maybe some of you have gone on a retreat somewhere and you didn't have the elements that you would have had at church. So you just go get some uh, crackers and, you know, the, the closest thing to juice that you have. Uh, and is that OK? Or is there a standard? Is there a, a penalty or is there a, a sin uh, if you use the wrong kind? Well, and the same thing with juice. It's, it's funny that in the communion liturgy that we use most of the time in church, the, the more formal thing, we say it's wine. Uh, but it's not wine, and at least in the Methodist church, we use juice. So in the liturgy, why can't we use the word juice? We don't. We use the word wine. And so that's always been puzzling to me. I've been in the church a long time. Why do we keep calling it wine? We've, I've never, in 45 years, never used um, uh, wine. So why, do, why, do, why can't? Is there some sort of stigma? Juice just sounds too silly or playful? Uh, and, and is there a right or wrong? Can you use juice? If you know the story around the juice, uh, in the Prohibition era, a man named Welch uh, created grape juice uh, in part to use in communion at uh, a Methodist church, actually, uh, because there was this prohibition against using alcohol. And so, um, and so uh, juice kind of found its way into church at that time. We've already talked a little bit about what do you do with the leftovers? I mean, uh, if we had a, a, a loaf of bread... And, and juice in our cup, is there, is that, is, there some, is there something sacrilegious about just tossing it off to the side? Should we be more careful with the body and the blood of Christ? 
Um, and I think that goes to kind of your theology as to what that is or what happens when you take communion. Again, uh, some uh, conversation around it is that it's, it's, it's actually something more than just bread and wine, uh, after, especially after it's blessed and after it's consecrated. It's not magical. It doesn't transform into something, but it, should it be treated in a way different than you would just leftovers at the end of just any meal? Um, how often do you do communion? Is there a standard around that? Um, in most of the Methodist churches I've been in uh, most of my life, it's the first Sunday of the month, kind of like what y'all are doing here. Um, in the sanctuary down the hill, it's not every month, it's, it's every once in a while. Uh, we have communion here in the chapel the first Sunday of every month. Um, well, not every month, most months. <laughs> At 8, 8.30, we have a, a small service. And so uh, uh, in uh, other denominations, it's every week. Wesley, John Wesley, the kind of got the Methodist church started, said, do it as often as you can. Well, does that mean daily? Does that mean weekly? Does that mean monthly? Does that mean, you know, just uh, whenever? Is there, a, there in, in the Methodist church, there's not really a standard, uh, but in your own personal experience, is communion something that you feel like the church ought to do every week or uh, every month or how often? What about the proper age for communion? I see some children here today. So is there an age under which you really shouldn't take communion? Is there an age which from that point on you should take communion? Uh, in some denominations, there's a first communion uh, whole class, kind of like confirmation. You go through a first communion class. I've been a part of Methodist churches that have had that just because it seemed like a good idea to teach kids before they come for communion what communion is uh, instead of just wandering in. Um, so uh, how, what does that look for? In, in most places where they do a first communion, it's about third grade. So does that, does that sound about right? Do you remember when you first took communion? Was there a point at which you were trying to take communion, wanted to take communion, but your parents said, no, you can't do that. And you kind of wondered, okay, well, why? Um, is the table open or is the table closed? Like, is, the, is communion for everybody here? Uh, I'm, as I look around, I'm sure that some of you are not members of Roswell United Methodist Church, so are you allowed? Maybe you're even asking yourself, am I allowed to take communion? Do I have to be a member? Uh, do I have to pull out my card that says I'm a baptized Christian? Uh, do I have to prove anything uh, to take communion? Or can I just uh, take communion uh, because I feel like that's something that I want to do? You saw in the the scripture that there was some discussion around uh, intent um, uh, and that uh, that coming for communion just because you wanted a snack uh, is, is not a good idea. There needs to be some more thought behind that. 
And so is there a, uh, is there a, a bouncer sort of uh, standing as you come up here that's going to look you over and say, okay, come on in. Uh, okay, come on in. Uh, now, go back and sit down. Um, in some denominations, unless you're a member of that church, uh, where they know what you think or believe, you're not allowed to take communion with them. Um, so the language, the liturgy that we use, is there, are there words that have to be said for communion to be, you know, right? Uh, the meaning, the symbolism, uh, the whole idea of eating the body of Christ and drinking the blood of Christ if you just wandered in off the street, wouldn't that sound kind of creepy? So why do we use that language? What does that represent? And, um, and is when we take communion, do we drink the juice and then eat the bread, the wafer, whatever that is? And when we do, does that become something else? Uh, over the years, all of the questions that we're pondering, uh, many of those questions have been actual fights within churches. In the early church, three, four, five hundred uh, A.D., people died over the discussion of this, trying to get this right, trying to fight over what is the proper understanding of the church and of communion uh, and where things are? So the artifacts give us a context. We have frescoes, we have pictures, we have to decide what to do with the fish, uh, we have to decide how often. Um, but how do we decide all of the questions that we have? How, do, how, do we get, how have we gotten to the point where we are today where we're going to invite you in just a couple of minutes uh, up for communion. Uh, and, and this is who gets to take it. This is how we take it. These are the elements that we use and that we feel good about offering that to you. Well, in the Methodist church, there's this cool thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. How many of y'all have ever heard of the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Okay, a few folks. That's, that's what I figured. Uh, it's, it's, it's not something that, after I explain it, you might go, oh yeah, I've heard about that. Uh, but by the name, that's, that's not a super attractive name, Wesleyan Quadrilateral. But it's, it's a way of understanding history uh, and artifacts and things in sort of a modern uh, application. And it's, it's an anacronym, and it, it's R-E-S-T. So reason, experience, scripture, and tradition. And so that's how in the Methodist church, we have kind of uh, taken artifacts and information and sort of funneled it into something that we can uh, use in uh, 2,000-year uh, uh, experience of, of uh, how the church is moving and growing. So Scripture is the primary uh, understanding that we have. It's third in REST because... Uh, I'm not sure what the word would be if you spelled it starting with S, S-E-R-T, or so it's, 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 it's third, but it's primary. So scripture is the primary thing, but then reason, what's reasonable? What makes sense? What's logical? As you think through 
uh, even just the idea of fish. Is that reasonable? Should we have fish? What would be the reason for leaving it in or taking it out? How would we do that in worship? Uh, what kind of fish? How would we cook it, serve it? All those questions. So, right? So, scripturally, uh, what does the scripture say about fish in um, communion? Uh, what's our experience of it? And then what's the tradition? And so in any sort of thing that you're struggling with, what's, what's the right thing? What's, what makes sense? Uh, what should we do? How should we understand Scripture? How should we understand the world around us, things that are changing, uh, things that aren't in Scripture? In most cases, the, the church... Leaders and people uh, have sort of looked at this idea of reason, experience, scripture, and tradition, and tried to find a way to move through all that, uh, to take artifacts and to take uh, other teachings, uh, uh, to take uh, people's experience, and put it through some sort of test uh, to uh, understand who we are and where we are. So in terms of the United Methodist Church and the Roswell United Methodist Church in particular, uh, let me go back through that list a little bit. The type of bread that we use isn't specified. Uh, we use leavened bread. We use unleavened bread. We use uh, pita bread. We use cooked loaf bread. Uh, we use, uh, I was trying to decide what the bread in, in this is, uh, maybe it's more like a cracker. Um, uh, is it rice-based, wheat-based? Um, th th there's not in, in the Methodist church, there's nothing in the discipline that says you have to use this kind of bread. Um, we'll get into why in just a second. Uh, the, the juice, mostly it's grape juice, like I said and talked about earlier. Uh, it's mostly juice. My experience, I'm... <laughs> I'm trying to think, but I don't know that I've ever, uh, in a Methodist church, had, have had wine. Have any of y'all in a Methodist church had wine served as communion, like in the church? I, I know like sometimes at a retreat or a, a you know, kind of outside special thing, maybe, maybe it was wine. Um, so we use uh, grape juice, we use white grape juice, um, mostly just that, uh, not any other kinds. Um, there is in the Methodist church, no consensus, no teaching. They didn't, there's nothing covered in the book of discipline or the, uh, or in seminary about what to do with leftovers. There's a lot of conversation about it. Like I said, some folks feel better pouring the leftover juice into the ground as opposed to down the drain. Uh, the leftover bread, uh, the same thing, scattering it outside for birds and, and things to take as opposed to just throwing it in the trash. But there's no consensus on that. There's no law. There's no rule. I'm not going to get in trouble by the bishop if, if I do anything different with it. Um, there is no rule on frequency. Um, some, some, like we were just talking, the sanctuary uh, down the hill, uh, they don't do communion once a month. Um, it's not written in anybody's law. The, the reason we do communion once a month here in chapel is that you, along with Marion, decided 
that was a good idea. We, we want to do it. And the response has been, yeah, let's do it. So, uh, but it's not a rule. It's not something that anybody told Marion, uh, you need to do communion once a month. Uh, there's no rule about age. Um, and so I know from my experience that a lot of times families will make that decision themselves. Uh, you'll talk to your children about communion, about what it is. Maybe you let the uh, kids come uh, and just wait till they ask you, what, what did we just do? And then you answer the questions. And some of y'all have actually uh, kind of kept the kids away from communion until you felt like they were at the right age to talk to them about it. And then, uh, then you do that. Um, but there, again, there's not in the Methodist church a consensus uh, or a rule or uh, that you have to be a certain age to, to do it. In the Methodist church, the table is open. Um, our belief is that this is God's meal. Uh, this is something that Jesus uh, instituted and asked us to do. And it's not my job to sort of proof text and check you out as to whether you're worthy or not. That's God's job. Uh, I don't need to get in the middle of that. And so the, the, the table in the Methodist church is open to any and all who would come. Oftentimes we, we ask you to come with an open heart uh, to receive this gift of grace that God offers you. Um, the liturgy that we use. Um, on the table outside, some of y'all might have picked up the communion bulletin from the 830 service this morning uh, because you thought as you came in the door that it was for this service. And so maybe you have it and you're kind of looking through it. There's a long liturgy that we use in the more traditional service. In this service, often there's not really a liturgy uh, that's used. It's an invitation to communion, a prayer and a blessing, and then you come forward. Again, there's no set, you have to do it this way uh, in the Methodist church. Um, and, then, and then lastly, um, it's mostly, uh, I don't want to say it's mostly symbolic, it's, it's mostly a holy reverent symbolism. I think it's, it's different than just a, a symbol uh, when we take communion. We don't believe and we don't teach that the juice and the wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. Some folks believe that as you ingest it, it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. And, and to a point for me, that makes sense in the sense that we're becoming Christ-like as we live out our faith as Christians. And so taking on the body and blood of Christ is a part of that uh, inner transformation uh, that actually I, 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 would be, I would have a fun conversation with folks about the, the plausibility of that. But in the Methodist church, that's not what we believe. This is just juice and it's just bread. And when you ingest it, it's still just juice and just bread. But... The symbolism and the, the response of our humbling ourselves to come and receive this gift that Jesus Christ offers us, it's symbolic of his death, 
uh, and resurrection and the reality that the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us as we avail ourselves and open ourselves to what Christ wants to do in us. And so receiving this gift, and that's what we have to do with the gift, right? Jesus offers us this, um, but communion is not something we take. It's something we're given. It's something we receive. So we don't come up and grab it. It's something that we receive. It's a gift. And the gift, the underlying part of the gift is that God cares for us. He loves us. Uh, God wants to take us from wherever we are uh, to a point where we understand God's grace and love and the extent to which uh, he, he uh, offers us new life. And it's not something that, communion's not a gift at the end of the month uh, or the beginning of the month for all the good things we did last month. It's not a reward. It's a recognition in the liturgy that we use that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that proves God's love for us because it's not a love that's based on our merit, what we do. It's before we do what we do that Christ extends, uh, God extends this offer of love and grace. And so in the Methodist church, it's offered uh, as uh, in, in that spirit. It's something that God is doing. And as we uh, partake of communion, it becomes a means of grace in that uh, as we have this service, as you contemplate coming for communion, as you reflect in your own minds and hearts what communion is and how it works, that you're receiving something that's a gift from God, that you're doing something that Jesus actually did and, and offered to his disciples and then through the history of the church is offered to you in the very same way. That you might have life, that you might have healing, that you might have hope, that you might have peace, that you might know the love of God, even when things around you say you're not worthy. God says you are, and communion is a way for us to experience that, wrap our heads around it, and actually get up, come forward, and receive this gift. So it's an act on our part where we accept something that's part of the artifacts, traditions, long-standing culture of the church. And uh, I want to invite our servers to come forward and our band to come back uh, as we receive this gift this morning. Let us pray. God, there's so many ways over the years that communion has been offered, talked about. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds and, and have had, um, if, if we were just to uh, talk around amongst ourselves, different experiences of what, what is and what's right and how you do it and, and what's the right kind of bread and what's the right kind of juice and how often and what age and all of those questions, God. And and I just ask you to help us uh, in this time and in this place and in this church just to uh, accept that it's a gift and that your grace is wrapped up in it 
in all kinds of good ways. And so we come acknowledging our need of you, our need of this grace that's offered, and that we ask as we take it uh, and receive it that um, in the spirit in which we do that, um, you would help us to see you better, help us to know you as Lord and Savior, and help us to walk from this place today in your grace and in your mercy and offer that grace and that mercy to those we encounter. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.